0: B-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. А.Егорова He's dangerous now. Right now, we're just doing it. Yeah, you jumped in there. I've never played. Before. Thank mm-hmm. you. mm mm-hmm.
1: make known to you, brethren and sisters, I say because I had three daughters,
0: the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received,
1: and which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve.
0: Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles,
1: This morning, we're going to be observing communion, and the passage we happen to be at uh, couldn't be more perfectly placed to be in First Corinthians 15. Uh, I want to begin with prayer, and then we'll take a look at this chapter. Father, we just thank you that you are a risen Savior, that we're not just praying to um, a totem pole or some kind of uh, memorial or an idea or just saying words, but that we do, we pray to you because you are risen and you have ascended and you're at the right hand of the Father and you are our intercessor, you are our high priest, our king. We pray to the living God and we thank you so much, God, for being there for us. We pray for the needs of this church, God. We pray for people who have struggled with sickness or disease or things like cancer or um, all kinds of internal issues. We pray for people, God, who feel a lot of physical pain right now and we pray that you would grant them healing and just deliverance, God, from those kinds of things. We pray for those who are pregnant. We pray for those who um, maybe received difficult news recently. We pray for those who are struggling emotionally and maybe they're depressed or maybe feeling overwhelmed, anxious right now, we just thank you that our risen Savior is a sufficient Savior. You're not just here to meet our religious needs, but all of our needs. And we thank you that you are such a complete Savior. When we trusted you, God, we had no idea what a great deal we were getting. We really thought we were just being delivered from our guilt, but you have not only done that for us, you've invited us into blessings Unbelievable blessings, eternal blessings, so much more than we imagined. And we're still learning. We're still finding out all the things that come to us um, just because we believed in you. You had so much wealth and riches and you lavished so much kindness and love and goodness upon us. So we just thank you, God. We pray that you would meet with us now, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would make us interested, and drive away distractions. Lord, there's probably people here that haven't even heard me pray and because they have things on their minds. Would you bring our attention to focus, God? This is important. This is really important that we understand about the resurrection of Jesus. Whether we're young or old, whether we have a really busy schedule tomorrow or are bored, would you just get hold of us right now, get our attention? This is important. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, this whole message is about the resurrection of Jesus. The whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of Jesus and then about our resurrection. And so it's all kind of fits together. Um, but we don't really have anything to talk about if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If we want to talk about the future life or things after this life, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're stuck. We're, we're like can't go forward. I'll put it this way. If you hope to rise from the dead after you die, somebody better have risen from the dead. Because if not, if no one's ever risen from the dead, then what are we what are we doing? What are we talking about? So the the mere fact that Jesus rose from the dead gives us amazing hope. So that's what chapter fifteen is about. So the first thing, there's three things I really want to get across. And the first thing is people have questions about the afterlife, and then we're going to try to look at the Bible's answer to that. What kind of answer does the Bible give? And then, let, then I'm going to call you to respond to it. So that's kind of where we're going. So first of all, people have questions about the afterlife. Um, everywhere I go in life, I realize people are asking questions about, is there a life after death? People go to a funeral and they're kind of thinking, is this, is this real? Is this the end? Um, where did they go? Where did grandma go? Where did my child go? People who lose someone special, dear to them, want to know, like, where, did, where do they go? Where will I go when I die? It's a very, it's one of the most important questions of life. And different religions answer differently. If you go to one religion, they say, well, we, we just become disembodied spirits forever there's this spiritual realm out there you know if you watch the old Viking movies then they have an answer like we go to um, the um, what's it called yeah see we have some Viking fans here um, you go to Valhalla if you're a Hindu you might be come back as a, a cow or a goat or a fly or a worm or it depends on if you were good or bad and how much you've progressed in between, if, um, if you're just general person, you might say, well, I think we go to heaven, not real sure what it's like or where. It's like kind of this place. I'll put it this way. Everyone that goes to a funeral, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what religion you're in people are hoping you've got some kind of answer. What happens when we die? And as far as I'm concerned, Christianity is the only one that offers... A reasonable explanation. And I, I, wanna, I, I watched this movie recently. And if you're a movie goer, you might, you might have watched it. But about in 2010, um, when Clint Eastwood was 80, um, he predict, pr- produced and directed a movie called um, Hereafter. And he's trying to answer this question. He's like, well, what happens after life? And I think he's—I personally think he's writing because he's asking that question, and he doesn't know. And I think we have a, a director making a movie who's searching for the answer of the afterlife. And I would—I'd much rather just say, "Hey, Clint, First Corinthians 15, pal. Jesus rose from the dead—is the answer of why, what we might be thinking about." But that's not what he comes up with. He never even touches. He never even comes close. To this, But let me tell you what, what, the movie, what that movie was about. There were three people. There was a young boy who his twin brother died. So he wanted to know um, where did he go and can I ever communicate with him again. He was really lonely, really struggling. Another person, uh, Matt Damon plays this guy who um, he is psychic and he has the ability to talk to the dead. And so people come and say, hey, will you summon my wife that died or my friend that died? And he's like, he communicates with the dead, but he doesn't understand how it works. He's like, where is he? I don't know. Where'd they go? I don't know. It's like, I just hear things. And then there's a, a lady who is a journalist and she goes through a tsunami and she, um, she almost dies. And she has a, a, an experience where she leaves her body and she has one of those afterlife experiences. And she sees the light and she sees people kind of blurry and then she's pulled back into life. So she has an out-of-body experience um, and she feels like she died, but she came back. And so all three of these people in this movie, their lives are a wreck. Until they understand what what happens after death the bot the 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 movie ends it's kind of interesting at the end of the movie um, it seems real happy. Um, the little kid gets peace somehow his brother spoke to him through the psychic matt Damon Matt Damon gets peace because he he doesn't think he'll ever find love because he always has these weird psychic relationship so he's like, I'll never find love and at the end of the movie he finds love and the woman who experienced death is real happy because she finally meets someone who believes her and seems to understand what she's gone through and so they're all happy at the end it's like the movie ends and it's like, oh they're all happy but there's no answers it's just like, the only answer to the movie really is is there life after death and the answer of the movie is like, yeah yeah, that's about it. Where we go? No clue. How do we get there? Don't know. What's the basis for believing in an afterlife? I don't know. We just get there. And it's really kind of, if you really think about it, it looks happy at the end. They seem happy, but they really haven't answered anything. And so the, the Christian faith answer, the, the Christian answer to their question they're searching for is, built upon the resurrection of Jesus. Do you, are you interested, is this question interested you? Are you interested in knowing what happens after you die? I want to present to you the Christian answer. This is our answer. When we go to a funeral, someone's struggling with death, someone's wondering, someone has a near-death experience and they're afraid to die, or your children are asking questions like, what, what, what happens when we die? You know, the first thing, maybe their first real Meaning, for a lot of kids, their first really meaningful, sad experience is when their pet dies. And they're like, why do things have to die? And then they're like, well, much more important is someone in their family dies, and maybe it's a a family member near. So the Christian answer is 1 Corinthians 15. It's built upon the resurrection of Jesus. This is really a summary of the gospel. Paul says... I want to remind you, which means he's obviously said it before. You can't remind someone someone of something you never said before. So Paul's like, I want to remind you. I've told you many times, brothers, the gospel I preach to you. Like this is the gospel. The resurrection, this, what Paul writes down in 1 Corinthians is one of the most beautiful summaries of the gospel. The gospel, the good news from God, I preach to you. And not only did I preach to you, you received it in which you stand. You took a stand in which you were being saved. In other words, you're believing and holding on to this. Salvation is a declaration. The minute you believe you are saved, but it's also a progression. I am saved, but I'm also being saved. Like I'm not there yet. So I have to hold on. It's not like I, can, I can't just go lose this thing that I have. But I am in the process of being saved. God came. I believe in Him. I'm trusting in Him. And then it says, you believed. you're holding fast. You are being saved if you hold fast. The word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Okay, in other words, unless you had these vague ideas or maybe even had the right idea. But somehow you let go. Um there's a lot to chew on in that little first paragraph but I want to focus now on the second paragraph. What is the Christian answer? And I'm going to point out four things. Four lines of evidence. What is the Christian answer? The first the first is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So here's what I want to say to you. Everyone in this room Christ died for your sins. That's the first part. The question becomes well, who is Christ? Who is this Christ? Christ is the word for the Messiah, the anointed of God. Someone was chosen, anointed, selected by God, and he died for you. Christ, Jesus, died for you. That's the message of the whole Bible from Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fall into sin and they're going to die and there is no hope there is no hope on the horizon there is no reason for them to believe once they commit sin that they're going to have eternal life so there's zero reason zero chance because before the the rule was this hey i've given you everything in the garden of eden and you need to obey me but if you disobey me the deal's off you will die I've created you to have eternal life and fellowship with God. But the moment sin enters into your experience, it ruins everything. And so at that point, there was no hope. But then God immediately, as soon as the consequence of sin comes, immediately comes the message of hope. And he says, like they're there thinking we're doomed. And then... To encourage them, God says, but I'm, let me tell you where hope's going to come. It's going to come through a person. I'm going to send a person, and it's going to be a descendant of the two sinners, Adam and Eve. Someone's going to come from your belly, from your loin, Eve, one day, and this person is going to be my sent one. I am sending someone to atone for your sin. And for a couple thousand years, several thousand years, that's their hope. That's the only thing they have to hope for until Jesus comes. The whole Old Testament is unfolding and getting more and more clear as to who is the one that hope. And it's going to be a person. And all through the Old Testament, we learn that that person is going to be um, a, a blood sacrifice because the picture of blood sacrifice is immediately instituted in Genesis and then it gets more clear when we get to um, Abraham sacrifices someone, his son. It's a picture of God sacrificing his son so it's a little more clarity. Wow, someone's going to come and there's going to be a human sacrifice, but Isaac wasn't sinless, so Isaac couldn't really be an atoning sacrifice, but God gives him a picture. Abraham, you, I ask you to give your son, I'll give my son instead. And the Picture develops. You have the temple, all the sacrifices around the temple, the um, sin offerings, um, burn offerings, the um, all the everything built around the temple. The, the lamps, the light, the priestly robes. The priest itself is a picture that someone's going to have to represent me and take a blood sacrifice before God. The picture's just building. According to the Scriptures, Paul said, according to the Scriptures, Christ came according to the Word of God. Christ died for your sins according to Scripture. Jesus fulfilled everything. All the Scriptures in the Old Testament were pointing to Jesus. So much so that when Jesus rose from the dead and He was walking along the road to Emmaus and He came upon some of the disciples who were utterly defeated and they think, Man, we have no hope. Jesus is dead. And the hope of the resurrection in their hearts wasn't a flicker. They didn't understand. It's like everything we believed in was destroyed because Jesus died for our sins. Like they didn't understand. Jesus died. He gave himself, volunteered to die. He died. But Jesus said, he told them that on the road to Emmaus, he said, didn't you understand this is what was supposed to happen? And he said all the scriptures beginning with the law and the prophets. All the Old Testament, Jesus says, was predicting that the Christ would have to die. They wanted the Christ to come and be a victorious king, instantly king, defeat their enemies. But the real enemy that needed defeated wasn't the Roman army. It wasn't worldly powers. It was death and Satan. And so Jesus had to die for their sins. So that's the first thing. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. So he died and then he was buried. The death and burial. Jesus was buried. Um, we read in all the gospels, all four gospel accounts tell how Jesus died on the cross. And he, he was stuck in the side. And he bled out. And he was beaten so severely that it's a wonder he didn't die before he even got to the cross. And then he he died. And then they took him off the cross. He was nothing but a a carcass. He was a dead man. A horrible, painful, agonizing death. He died and so they take him. the disciples ask, can we take him and prepare him for burial? They take him. They're handling him. They know he's dead. They're not like going, "Hey, let's! I got a trick. Let's wrap up Jesus because he's still barely breathing. Let's wrap him up, and if he hasn't died, let's just go ahead and suffocate him to death by wrapping him up." It's like, no. There's people who come up with these crazy ideas that Jesus didn't really die, but he went through, gotten stuck in the side, and and bled out with water, which was a clear medical symbol uh, indicator that he was dead. The medical expertise of the, resur- the crucifixion he died the, f- the, the witnesses who saw him he died, everyone's crying, everyone's dying, Jesus died, he quits breathing, he breathes his last they wrap him up put him with oils and spices prepare him and they bury him and they bury him they even know the name of the man who buried like they have the history, Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb and they buried Jesus in a tomb they literally took him and buried him according to the scriptures and then we have the account um, all the disciples went to see Jesus where they buried him they had a Roman guard posted where they buried him what's our hope that one day there's an afterlife is that Christ died for our sins and he was buried and then he was raised on the third day Um, If he was only buried, we wouldn't sing to him. We wouldn't talk about him. We wouldn't remember him. If Jesus had gone into, even if he had been a heroic, um, lived a great life, was a great moral teacher, lived a very moral life. If Jesus died and went and was buried, we would not have a clue about who he was. No one would remember. Lots of people died and buried. Everyone dies and is buried. But Jesus did something next that changed the course of history. Says he was he raised from the dead on the third day. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And then he, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with the scriptures, um, in the book of Jonah, it was prophesied that Jonah was a picture of Jesus, and it says Jonah was three days in the belly of the great fish, and it was prophetic. <laughs> God, why, would, why did Jonah need to go into a great fish and die and be in the great fish for three days and come out? Like, what, where does that story fit? In, I mean, it's a great story. But why did God do something like that? Because it was prophetic. It was pointing to one much greater. And Jesus tied what happened to Jonah to himself. He says, remember Jonah, three days in the fish? And he came back to life or he was hes spat out upon the um, shore and Jesus is saying I'm going to come out and I'm going to preach we're going to preach the gospel Jonah went and preached the gospel to the Ninevites when Jesus came out and, and he sent them to preach the gospel to all the nations and so Jesus came alive and remember Jesus three times his disciples totally didn't want him to die and they're like no, Lord, please don't die. Don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you. And Jesus tells them once, and every all the Gospels record, Jesus told them like three times. The first time, he says, hey, guys, uh, we're going to Jerusalem, and when we get there, um, the Pharisees and Sadducees are going to attack me. They're going to accuse me. And, and the Jewish leaders are going to accuse me along, and they're going to join hands with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles too are going to accuse me of horrible things. And they're going to crucify me and kill me. And that's all they heard. It's like, no. Well, then we can't go there. They didn't hear that. They, they weren't listening very carefully. Because Jesus says, and in three days. I'll rise from the dead. So three times. Only after Jesus rose from the dead did they remember that part. Like He told us. Three times he told us. And he rose from the dead. It says on the third day he was raised, so he Christ died, he was buried, he raised, and then he appeared. And we have six different references to his appearances. He appeared alive. Christ died for our sins, was raised on the third day, and he appeared alive. They didn't go see a dead man, the dead man came to see them. They went in to look for a dead man. Dead man wasn't there, dead man was looking for them. Dead man was alive. They went to see a dead Jesus and a living Jesus came out looking for them. And they about dropped dead. And what happened was, it says, first they saw Peter. They saw, he, uh, um, Paul is like saying, hey guys, the gospel I preached to you, let me tell you what it was. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He raised on the third day. And, and Peter saw him. The 12 saw him. More than 500 saw him. Now, take into context what's going on here. Paul is writing to the people who live in Corinth. And Corinth is in Greece. And Greece is in Europe. And he's spreading all through Europe something that happened over in in Asia, in Jerusalem, in Israel, in the Roman territory of Galilee and Judea. They're over here. Why would they care about a nobody man, why would they even hear about Why was the message traveling? Why are people really interested in this message of this guy named Jesus? And they're interested in him because the story is that he rose from the dead. And everyone's interested in a good story, but there is no story like this story. And they're like going, hey, guys, the whole reason I'm here is to tell you that something happened in a real place called Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, where they killed a, they killed a good man. They killed actually the best man that's ever lived. We're, we're trying to convince you and we're claiming that this man is the son of God. That this man is God. And to, and to prove his divinity and deity, he rose from the dead in his own power. In the power of his righteous life. He defeated death. We have great news for the world. Great news for the whole world. And so Paul was traveling and he said, not only that, Peter saw him. And the apostles saw him. All the apostles Peter, uh, Paul is telling the message. He says, all the apostles agree. We're all, all the apostles are in on this. All of them saw him. And fi- there were 500 witnesses. People saw him. There were many more witnesses, thousands of witnesses that Jesus lived. But now there's 500 who saw him after he died. After they saw, there were witnesses to the resurrection and f- witnesses, many witnesses post-resurrection, of a living Jesus who they all know he had been dead and crucified. So there now there's like 500 witnesses. And, and Paul is basically saying, and so this is about 20 years, I'm guessing, after maybe 20, 25 years after the resurrection. Paul probably, Jesus probably died in somewhere, estimates are 25 to 30 A.D. And Paul probably wrote Corinth in the 50s, in the 50s A.D., So 20 years, 20 plus years, the message has traveled. This is crazy. This unknown Jewish man is beginning to be known all around. Believers are popping up. People who have nothing to do with Judaism, people who aren't Jewish, they're not interested in Jewish religion, are being converted to the religion of Christianity because they're hearing that a dead man rose. And the dead man was a prophet of God. And the dead man is, came to life after death. And that his death was sacrificial, an atonement for sins. And that his death can atone for sin. And to prove the power of his death, he rose from the dead as a declaration of the that God was satisfied with the death of Jesus. And in power, he rose from the dead. I always say the resurrection is God's amen. The resurrection is the amen of God to the atoning sacrifice. Is this... Is this Is the the death of Jesus sufficient to pay for my sin? Amen. Jesus rose. It's like the declaration, the amen of God to the question, can Jesus' death pay for our sins? Amen. He rose from the dead, powerful, victorious over death. And so 500 people saw him. And then James, we believe that to be James, the brother of Jesus who eventually became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, like James saw him, the leader of the church at headquarters back in Jerusalem, hey, Corinthians, James saw him. James wasn't one of the apostles. He was the brother of Jesus, but he became uh, one of the leader. Like he saw him, like Jesus' own brother. Why would he make up a story like that? How embarrassing to the family if you go around making up stories that your brother was raised from the dead. Are you crazy? James saw him. All the apostles, they met with Him shortly after, right after He was raised. And they met with Him in the upper room. Then they met with Him later. And He taught with them, met by the, seaside, the seashore. He met with them before He ascended. Met with them during the um, 40 days of His life after rising from the dead. And He shared many things with them. And then also Paul says, and I saw Him. I saw Him. I'm the guy writing to you. I saw him too. And so the, he's just telling them. Think about what a cool thing it is. That the, um, that the man that God was going to call to send out. It's just crazy. That the man that God would use to be the most powerful missionary, I think, ever. Was someone who devoted his life to destroying the Christian faith. Paul was on his way to destroy the Christian faith. He had papers. He was official. He was an official representative of Israel and the Jewish leadership to go and kill those people who were claiming that they were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Like, there's a bunch of idiots running around this world, and they're claiming that Jesus, this man that we know was crucified, has risen from the dead and... It's getting out of control here, and we need to terminate this thing right now. Can I pause, like I volunteer to be the one to go wipe out this thing before it gets going. This is like a wildfire. We need to put it out right now. And so Paul devotes his life at this point in his life to terminating those people who are claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. And then suddenly Jesus comes to Paul. Jesus, Paul meets the risen Savior, and on his way to stop people from claiming Jesus is alive, Paul says Jesus is alive. He becomes a witness to the very thing he was trying to destroy. The conversion of Paul is such a powerful um, proof. Okay, so this is the answer. This is the answer. To the question, is there a life after death? Is there anything after we die? Yes, there is. What is our answer? Our answer is based upon the word of God. That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried. And that he rose from the dead. And there are many people who became witnesses and laid down their own lives. Why would these people die? These people, it is believed, some believe that all of the apostles died for as martyrs because they refused to denounce Jesus. It's like, hey, if I was in a little secret club and we made up a really cool story about this man, this dead man came back to life, and someone says, well, are you willing to die for your little story? It's like, heck no. It's like, we made it up. None of them was willing to say. If they made it up, can you imagine 12 people claiming a lie and giving their lives for something they all 12 knew was a big fat lie? But the complete opposite is the truth. All 12 of them were willing to die and say, no, none of us will deny him. Our hope in the resurrection is based upon this truth. And so the last thing I really want to ask is what's your response to all of this? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? I have four thoughts. And I want you to ponder them for a minute. First of all, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe this? And secondly, do you receive Jesus? It's like... You come to church for a long time and you say, I, that's probably true, but I'm not ready to receive Jesus because I don't want what comes with the Christian life. I want to I control my life. I want to have fun. I want to party. Maybe when I get old and lazy and I can't have fun anymore. Maybe then, right before, maybe if I get some kind of notice that, hey, you're going to die in three months, oh, a good time to become a Jesus follower. Right now, I like things the way they are. I like being in control of my life. I don't want anyone. My friends will laugh at me. If I follow, yes, I believe these things are true. I don't want people to laugh at me, make fun of me. I don't want to be one of those crazy Christian people. I don't want to give up my life, my dreams. Well, then you have no, you only have knowledge. You don't yet have Jesus. You have knowledge of Jesus. You don't have Jesus. And so the the next question is, do you believe in the resurrection? The second question is, do you receive Christ? Do you receive the risen Christ? you receive him. And then to you who have done that, are you standing? Because it says you believed and then in which you, the message, you believe the message in which you stand. Are you standing? I'm just going to ask you right now, and I don't mean, I don't want you to stand, but are you standing with Jesus? Are you like, I'm a Christian? I'm known as a Christian. It's who I am. It's what I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. My friends know it. If your friends don't know that, then you're not standing very well. If you're ashamed of Christ, then you're really not standing so strongly. If you're like, no, I'm a secret Christian. I don't think we live in a country where you need to do that. No one's going to take your life. You're just afraid of peer pressure. And Jesus says, will you stand for me? And so that's the question. If you've made a decision in church, are the church people the only people that know that you're a Christian? That's not standing. That's wobbling. You're a wobbly Christian. And I want to call you to stand today. It's like today when we come to this Lord's Supper, it's like, Lord Jesus, if you're coming to this table, it means I'm standing. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus, not just in the house of God. I want to stand when I leave here. I want to go standing standing. I don't want to be this my little secret thing and my non-church friends think I like, you know, I go party with them, we get drunk. We do all these fun things when I'm not with my Christian friends because they don't really know. Because I don't really stand for Jesus except in the house of God. That's not a real, that's not real. That's just something that makes you feel good or maybe makes your parents feel good. But Jesus says stand with me and then hold fast. Hold fast. How many people in here, it's like, oh, I'm holding, man. I'm, I'm holding fast, but it's a tussle, man. That's a, that's a lot of weight on me to walk away. There's a lot of days I don't feel like I'm holding too fast. But Jesus is calling you today. Will you hold fast? And I'm calling you right now. And he says, and while you hold fast, I'm going to feed you along the way. I'm going to nourish you. And the Lord's Supper is nourishment, spiritual nourishment. If you're going to hold fast in this life, you've got to eat at some point. You got to eat. Like, I can't go on. I don't know if you've ever seen someone who comes to the end of their life and they're not eating, and you know it's only a matter of time. It's amazing how long. It is absolutely amazing. It's shocking how long someone can go without eating at the end. They can go for days and weeks, and everyone's going, Well, they haven't eaten. Do you know how many Christians look like they're making it and they're not eating? You're not making it. You're withering. You're getting weaker and weaker. And some people are like, I don't read my Bible, I don't go to church anymore. I don't eat. And Jesus says, come to my table and eat. Eat spiritually. Just like you need physical food, you need spiritual food. And Jesus says today, I want you to stand with me. And I am here today to nourish you. If you're a follower of me, or if maybe today's the first day. Maybe someone, this is your first meal as a Christian. Maybe someone says, I received Christ into my life today. And I want to follow him. I want to be known for him. I am ready right now to stand as a follower of Jesus. And don't come up here if you're not ready to be identified as a follower of Jesus. Because that's what you're doing. And don't be an in-house Christian. Be an all-the-time Christian. And that's what Paul is talking about. Okay. Um, I think you get it. The gospel that we preach, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And we are witnesses. I'm not an eyewitness, I didn't see Jesus rise from the dead, but I am a witness. You want to join me as a witness today? Can we witness? We are witnesses. We are His witnesses. Praise God. Father, thank You this day. And I just pray right now, Lord, maybe there's someone in here today that they have the information, but they've never truly received Christ into their hearts. Lord, You say that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord, And believe upon Him in our heart that we will be saved. I pray right now, God, as we come to the Lord's table today, maybe someone just comes to you for the first time. We pray that would be true, oh God. And for the rest of us, may we be strengthened right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.